Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Shalom, everyone. My name is Kalev Bendor. I'm going to be moderating today's episode. And today I'm joined by uh, Amy Weinreb and Mike Unterberg. And we are going to be discussing to what extent Jews are indigenous to the land of Israel and whether it even matters. I should remind everyone that the views expressed by our participants do not necessarily reflect their views. And before we get to our participants, indigenous, according to Google, means people inhabiting or existing in a land from the earliest times or from before the arrival of colonists. So I guess it's an open question as to who colonized whom. But uh, (laughs) Amy, please give us your perspective on this issue. Well, my perspective on this issue comes from being in college classrooms for the last 13 years and being a cultural anthropologist where the concept of indigeneity is central to a lot of our conversations. And it's interesting, my own personal trajectory getting to this point where it's mattered to me and where I'm able to debate it started talking about groups that aren't Jews or not related to the land of Israel or Palestine at all. And it emerged as a problem as I began teaching Israel Studies courses, where the assumption of the majority of U.S. college students is that Palestinians are indigenous to the land of Israel and Jews are colonizers. Starting with that premise, you begin to erase history. You begin to erase pieces of biblical narrative that Jews are connected to. And it has direct implication and impact on policy, public conversations, education, and nearly any sphere where you would be thinking about uh, Jews. So I think that the problem really began when indigeneity began to pick up momentum. Really, when I'm looking at it historically, I think that definitions started circulating more widely in 1972 by the UN Working Group for Indigenous Peoples, where specifically they were looking not at, they would not consider Jews at all. That was not part of the conversation. And they were looking more specifically at land rights for Indigenous peoples and the, the groups that were focused on most frequently in conversations spurring from that moment were Palestinians and also uh, Native Americans or now often more called Indians or Native peoples in North America and Australia. And one of the presumptions was that to be indigenous, you had to be marginalized yourself in the land on which you were living. So Zionists, by that definition, immediately could not be indigenous because they were in the black and white uh, colonizer versus colonized. They were clearly the colonizer because they weren't marginalized economically and because they had sovereignty. So Zionism became a victim of its own success. So because there was sovereignty, you can no longer be indigenous. And this becomes this logic loop that, that no longer works. And the conversation about Jews being indigenous to the land of Israel's faded away very quickly and really didn't resume until there were conversations about Mizrahim being indigenous to the area. And that's where it began. Jews to, from Arab lands. Jews from Arab lands, Middle East and North Africa. Mm-hmm. 
who began activist groups and introduced educational tools online, saying we're indigenous to the region, undoubtedly. And these conversations in the early 2000s um, also spurred continuing conversations among Ashkenazim or Jews who have spent time in Europe for thousands of years, believing that this indigeneity conversation needed to be extended historically and looked at seriously by the UN and other decision-making bodies. Because once you say that you have roots in a territory originally, primordially, that has implications for national borders. It has implications for capital cities. It has implications for global perceptions of land rights. In the college classroom, once you introduce the possibility that Jews are indigenous to the land of Israel, there's usually push pushback. And it's partly optics or visual saying, well, these are white people mm-hmm. who came, you know, sometime in the 1800s, maybe that's like the point of origin. That's the that's what students imagine is the original time that Jews arrived instead of returned. And. Whatever happens with policy, I think an important starting point is to open the conversation, open the historical sweep, open the possibility that there's a group of people who've been praying, having psalms about, have holidays that surround, have language that's attached to, have hagim or journeys back to the land of Israel since the beginning of the Jewish people. To erase that is also to erase Jewish identity, and it can bleed into anti-Semitism very quickly. Fantastic. Mike? Well, I'm certainly going to agree with Amy's closing statement about that Jewish connection to the land of Israel is ancient. Historically, our roots are here. Uh, I'm certainly, as a Zionist, not going to disagree with any of that. The position I'm going to be taking is that the word indigenous is not helpful and doesn't apply. And precisely because of something Amy actually mentioned, namely that uh, it confuses college students. It confuses people who associate the image, rightly or wrongly. You know, the definition you gave was people who were in the land before colonizers. Whether historically accurate or not, the Bible describes us as coming into the land from Egypt, that that as the Bible describes the people whose forefathers lived as a family in Canaan, went to Egypt, grew to be a huge population and came back in and took over the land. I often meet students who say to me, so then we're not indigenous. Now, historians don't necessarily accept the Bible's narrative as historically accurate and think of us, think of the origins of the Hebrew people as more of this amalgam of local Canaanites with refugees from the collapse of the great civilizations. That's bigger than our topic today. But what I'm saying is the term indigenous is naturally, there is something to that gut reaction of, oh, I know what you mean. You mean uh, a Pacific Islander, a Native American. You mean somebody who wasn't part of European culture. You mean somebody who was politically excluded from the process of Western civilization. And so that confusion, describing Jews as being part of that club, I'm worried that it muddies the waters, that that it gets people off track, and it begins to feed this idea that Jews will will just claim anything to win. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in reality. They're interested in generating. I fear that it loses people by going a bit too far. Now, whether we literally fit the definition or not, I mean, the Jews are certainly connected to this land before that was a concept. The concept of indigeneity as mattering politically is a relatively 
new thing. And very often the problem that Zionists have is exactly this problem of people trying to fit the Jews into one modern definition of another, ethnicity, nation, religion. We're a, a very ancient people, you know, who, who in our own historical memory, let alone our historical record, interacted with Nebuchadnezzar and Julius Caesar and Cleopatra. Like we, we're, we're really around a long time. And so we don't comfortably fit into the political language today. And so we don't neatly fit into categories. Our statehood is based on that. Whatever we are, we clearly are some sort of ethno-national group with rights to this land. And I think Zionism is about defending it. What I'm arguing is the word indigenous carries baggage that we may not, because also part of indigeneity is you've always been here. You know, the, the Aborigines in Australia have never gone on a 2,000-year-old journey wandering around the world and then return to Australia and say, we're indigenous. They're the people who are there. And there's a very clear difference of Western white people who showed up there and started taking political rights and acquisition and ownership and things like that. And so I don't think we perfectly neatly fit the category. And so therefore, what I'm saying is, I, I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's I, I, I understand Amy's argument that it absolutely applies. I'm not, I'm not even disagreeing that in theory you could get the Jews into that definition. What I'm arguing is it doesn't neatly fit, so it's not worth it. We should make our case in a much less potentially problematic way. So I guess I have a couple of questions for both of you. What I'm trying to get my head around, obviously on campus these days, especially in the US, there is an increasing rhetoric of Zionism as settler colonialism, Jews as white, Palestinians as people of color, Jews as powerful, Palestinians as weak mm -hmm. and victimized, and indigenous, and Jews as European. And in that context, the concept of Jews being indigenous is important. But I wonder if, to move more towards Mike, could we not just reframe that as this is an ancestral people who have thousand of years connection to the land as in to what extent a do you do, do you amy believe the the indigenous aspect matters rather than ancient connection and i'd also be very interested to hear from both of you whether you think there are political ramifications when we talk about let's say that the future of the west bank as in sometimes we could quite easily say take jesus and bethlehem some people might say, well, that's Palestine or the occupied West Bank or whatever. But Jesus was a Jew practicing Judaism, born in Judea. But nowadays, there are within the West Bank two and a half million Palestinians and 450,000 Jews. So I'm, I'm also kind of wondering to what extent the concept that we're talking about has political consequences today when we're talking about the future of the West Bank. I think there's two questions in there. And one of them is how useful is this concept for us as a people group? And I'm saying that train has already left the station. I mean, I'm sensitive to the possibility that Mike has introduced that we don't need to squeeze into that box, but the box is there. And it's one of the problems with it is that there's can be more than one indigenous group. And I don't think we can say well, this isn't our term. In a historical and contemporary context, this term matters. And I think that to stepping back from it has dangers both conceptually and philosophically and politically. And I think that there's an active attempt to squeeze 
Jewish indigeneity from the conversation. And I'm going to point to a World Bank definition from 1991, where things are keeping on building up, where it's not possible for Jews to fit in, and not in a good way. It's a way of silencing um, history and connection. So one of the additional additions that the that the World Bank introduced is that an indigenous language is often different from the national language. So you revive <laughs> a national language, you can't be indigenous anymore. Or listen to this one. As opposed to Arabic, which is indigenous to Palestine? Apparently. <laughs> I mean, it's used sometimes in that way. Or that indigenous groups are primarily subsistence oriented in their production. Mm. And this also, I mean, this conversation is broad and it's complex, but I am going to argue that part of the the weaponization of indigeneity as, as a concept is to exclude the possibility that Jews are indigenous. Almost as if Jews don't count. Mm-hmm. Almost as if Jews Almost don't count. If. Well, that, and that's that's sort of the classic moving of goalposts that I'm talking about. In other words, if, if you if you want, if you want to enter this semantic battlefield and think that that, that uh, there's an assured victory, okay, what I'm arguing is I don't think there is. I think this is going to be an endless process of yeah, but because what is it really? We don't really mean you, right? In other words, we mean poor, weaker people, and and so ultimately, I mean, the argument that Palestinians is, are indigenous is is bizarre. This is a people whose ancestors, if, if they have this longer connection, you know, the, the Arab peoples only came to this land 1,400 years ago. And I say only 1,400 years ago, which to a Western person sounds like forever ago. But in the Middle East, that's not that long ago. You know, our connections here historically are proven to be 3,000 years, so at least twice as long. So the whole argument claiming that Palestinians have indigeneity, but the Jews don't is absolutely bizarre. But what I'm saying is once you enter this type of semantic battlefield, you can win on logic, but in perception, I don't think we can win because people say, yeah, but that's not what I mean. What I really mean is, well, are they subsist? Is it a subsistence economy? Because that's what I'm going to define it in a way that gets to Palestinians, excludes Jews and stay on the point. Okay, but it's more complicated than that because it's there's multiple claims to indigeneity in the land of Israel. It's not only Palestinians and Jews, but it's also Bedouin. And most recently, it's also Armenian Christians. who have, I think, been offered indigenous status in the UN as well. So if we decide, well, it's not really for us, it's there's going to be other groups that are part of the conversation more broadly. Another point I want to make about the train has already left the station. This conversation is in full flow and we need to monitor and be a part of it, craft it, shape it, even if we step back from it, to step back from it carefully on uncertain terms, is that there are there's a lot of social media that is pro-Jewish indigeneity that's using those terms mm. and trying to connect with other di- indigenous groups. To some success, I've to seen. To some success. Yeah. So the conversation is there and it's capturing some people's imagination. It's too late to step back and say, this is, this is not our box to fit into. It's happening. Okay. So, so that works, I think, if I understand correctly, as a kind of pushback against this very radical Jews as settler colonialists. How do you think it fits in with a kind of a super political discussion of what's the future of this land, we might call it Eretz Israel, historic Palestine, whatever you want to call it. How does that practically fit into yeah. to those debates? So land rights and indigeneity are intertwined. You cannot separate them. They come out in one sentence. So if we're looking at land rights, which in the case of the modern state of Israel have to do with borders, it does 
implicate the West Bank. That is indigenous land. And that's when things become more politicized, more complicated, and um, not as many people might be willing to join the conversation. But I think it's okay to complexify and say that this is part of the conversation. Can you still be indigenous, have connections to the land, possibly have land rights, but be part of peace talks or be part of the conversation where negotiations are made? I think the answer is yes. Indigenous people give away land all the time. Land is taken away from them all the time. But it's not about saying that we're not indigenous. It's saying that we are, but we're living in a modern political world where there are borders. I think it's interesting what Mike brought up, that there's an ancient enough history that some of the concepts of ethnicity, of state, of borders, of indigeneity might not be relevant to ancient Jewish history, but they're certainly relevant now. I know I'm supposed to be debating, but I actually agree with that basic point. And I think the way you phrase the question, I think, is the gateway to the answer of the question. In other words, if I talk about narrative and rights and self-perception, I think it's okay for everyone to full-throatedly state how they see themselves and how they see their connection to the land, and then begin a conversation of that being said, how do we figure out a way, if there's millions of Jews and millions of Arabs, how do we figure out a way to be good neighbors, explicitly acknowledging that from this sense of self-identity, both sides are going to be making painful sacrifice, painful concessions in order for that to be done. If you don't give a full-throated self-statement of identity at the beginning, then that means the negotiation feels, you know, oh, the West Bank is like only 28% of the land of Israel. So why are the Israelis being so? Well, it's the heartland of our biblical national story, you know, where, where our forefathers lived is the West Bank. And so you're talking about giving up the heartland, but that doesn't work if I if I just do it by, you know, by square meter. It does become clearer when I start stating my own self-perception, my own identity as clearly as I can. So I, I do think... An intelligent listener and, and a reasonable person can understand that complexity. I'm, I'm stating my claim. And now let's sit down and negotiate how to solve our differences because we clearly have competing claims to the same thing. I, I would say we are two native tribes arguing over how to resolve our land conflict based on the position I'm taking. I don't know that the word indigeneity is going to matter in that conversation. So just, just to follow on from that political component, I think one of the things that's it's interesting, and I think to get a little bit political, I think one of the issues with Oslo, with the Oslo process of, of the 1990s, was mm -hmm. this idea of rather than saying, okay, I can have rights, mm -hmm. but not ownership, was this idea that Israelis, or was only amongst the, some of the Israeli left, we're giving up any, we, we've got no connection to the West Bank at all. And you, the Palestinians, you need to give up your connection to sovereign Israel. Mm -hmm. But obviously, that's that's not how it works. Many Jews feel a connection to the entirety of the land. Many Palestinian Arabs feel a connection to the entirety of the land. What we do with that politically is a separate issue. Mm -hmm. But in terms of feelings of belonging or feelings of rights, that, that that's something that can't necessarily just be denied. So I think this idea of saying, yes, rights, fine. How we work out those rights in a modern political state that's up for negotiations. It's quite an interesting way of, I don't know if it's moving between the raindrops, but it's quite an interesting mm -hmm. way of, of moving forward. Amy, do you have any, any closing uh, thoughts? or? I do. I need to mention this closing thought, which is that there often emerges a conversation about who got there first and that that's connected in some way to indigeneity. But I want to clarify that that's not what, it's not about 
the first group that was there. Indigenous claims have many definitions, but first isn't it. So I don't think Jews are going to win on that account. And also that who got there first has no political implications We've anymore. I mean, we discovered that a peace process can't be fueled by who got there first. These are negotiations either between the raindrops or very clearly of everybody wants all of it. But it was us, right? <laughs> I mean... Yes. Yeah. Before them. Yes. Okay. I, before, I, before all of that. What I say to people when they say that is I say, okay, so they've only been here for 1,400 years and we were there 3,000 years. Okay. Like 1,400 years is a really long time to feel at home. Like both sides absolutely feel at home. Right. So going into this discussion, one of my feelings was once anyone has been somewhere for over 1,000 years, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter who's been there longer. And that's why, in my feeling, was the concept of whether you're Indigenous is less important. But actually, I think, Amy, you've given a very convincing argument as to why... Did I win? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see what listeners think. Yes. Indeed. But it, you, you can have that. You can say, actually, it doesn't really matter in that sense, but still the Indigenous component is super important. Mike, do you have any, any closing words? I do. I think that there is a... Uh, uh, listen, it's not fair because I'm not a diplomat and I'm not a negotiator. I'm not even an advocate or anything like that. I'm an educator. And so my primary concern is always clarity. And so in closing, I would say that because this word, I think, it, I think it's important to unpack the word and what it means and why both sides use it. But I, 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 I am arguing that it's not essential to our own self-expression to use it because it ends up confusing more than it clarifies. And I don't know exactly what word to put in its place. I don't know that it's native. I, I, I think I think home uh, uh, might be, uh, I, I just don't know what word to put. I, I wish in my closing I could say, so instead of indigeneity, we should say X, but I, I can't fill in X. So uh, I, look, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that this in this format. I'll step out of the <laughs> position for a second and just say, I always I, I explicitly refer to myself as indigenous. I do feel. The truth comes out. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So, and I don't necessarily agree with the position I'm taking in the argument, but I, but I, uh, even in my honest approach, I, I, I will admit, not taking the side of the debate, uh, it's more of, a, of, of an expression of narrative. This is how I see history and our place in history. I do, and, and, and so uh, the position I'm taking in argument is, I, I don't know how to use that politically if it's that subjective a term how's that i'm not sure i'm not sure what to say how, how that was but it's certainly very interesting yeah. very it is interesting but i realize i do have one more very very important thing to say well you can see amy we're we're super strict on structure here so you can <laughs> is that if the conversation about settler colonialism is becoming the core narrative which on campus on it, campus 100 percent. if it's not settler colonialism then it's creeping settler colonialism, hmm. which by definition is uh, it's it's ongoing and there's no beginning and there's no end. Then we can't ignore that indigeneity is on the other side of that spectrum. And if we need students to understand that in this in this broader historical sweep, ask this question, can somebody who is native to a land also be a settler colonialist? And and we certainly feel feel native. Look, I I think I think what I what I would argue in in complete sincerity in closing closing in closing closing, uh, yes, that's right. I'm taking because Amy took. It's only fair 
I demand my rights. It's a creeping. I, uh, on Amy's creeping colonialist closing statement, um, I, I, I think it's important that to, to discuss with students and discuss openly, this is the Jewish self-perception. You can agree with it. You can disagree with it. How does that help you? In a similar way, too, I can talk about Palestinian self-perception. You can make a historical argument pro or con any Palestinian narrative claim. But millions of Palestinians believe this. So how does it help that you think they're wrong? How does that, how does that manifest in actual political solution finding? And so understanding the Jews' sense of indigeneity, I do think, is crucial. But in closing, 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 mm-hmm. this whole idea of how can I be an occupier if I'm home? If I'm home, which which has become actually a very I know you didn't mean it in this way, it's become a very political statement. Mm-hmm. Um pre, former Prime Minister Bennett would use it a lot. Current Prime Minister Netanyahu uses it a lot after the UN vote. How can I be an occupier in my own homeland? And in some ways, I think a better model, which is what we've been discussing, is this idea of okay, there there are rights and then there's potential negotiation. And those two things are on are on different levels because at the end of the day. In 1967, Israel captures, occupies, liberates, whatever you want to say, a land and also people who are, who are on the land. So we, we can talk about, till the cows come home, I can't be an occupier in Samaria because I'm native to it, but there's also... Right, but to be fair, you're, you're changing. Indigenous is different than occupy. In other words, the question of does the Israeli army militarily control the West Bank and is the verb for that occupy, yes. Can you occupy a land that you see as your home? No. So therefore, we have that weird paradox in the word occupy. I don't know that uh, uh, indigeneity has the same problem. It has problems, but I don't know. My point is that it can be taken in political ways. Yeah. um, That it doesn't, as in Amy's argument is, in this argument against settler colonialism, Mm -hmm. this is a super, super important concept to be used. Mm -hmm. But the next step of, or because I'm native to the land, no one else has a right to it and mm-hmm. and you can't critique me mm-hmm. etc that that goes in 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 a, a different political direction that's political yeah yes and it's it's hard to kind of hold one but not be pushed necessarily towards the other well thank you both for your uh, super informative opinions thank you everyone at home for listening and we hope you will join us soon bye bye You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.